We're here to talk about Muslims who are entering the kingdom and remaining as Muslims. A little bit of a controversial subject. So if you're going to throw eggs, wait until I'm done because I don't look very good with eggs all over me. But I do want to let you know that this is something that the Father is doing in great ways. Let's pray first. We're thankful that there are your children who are interested in Muslims coming to Christ and using their skills in medicine to soften the ground and prepare hearts to hear. And so I pray that you will show us what you're doing from these stories in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to kind of look at this screen that might be easier because sometimes I'll point out a picture if that's okay for those of you over there. You're welcome to look at that one. It's going to be the same, but I'll use this one. Muslim insider movements. Um, The question is, should Muslims who enter the kingdom through Jesus remain as Muslim? Now, the fact is, whether or not we agree with this, it is happening today. And it's not happening in ones and twos. It's happening in tens of thousands across the Muslim world. What we're seeing now is that Muslims from every corner, what uh, Garrison calls every room in the house of Islam, we're seeing Muslims who are entering the kingdom. They're transferring their allegiance from Muhammad and the Quran, and they are embracing Jesus Christ and his kingdom, but they're remaining part of the family, the Ummah of Islam. The question that Western Christians most often ask of these insider movements is this. Are these Muslim believers orthodoxic? In other words, do they really believe the truth? Some might even want to know, do they ascribe to our creeds? And if not our creeds, many of them have never seen the creeds, nor are those who are working with them introducing them to the creeds. They're just introducing them to the scriptures. And so the question is, do they affirm all that the Bible teaches about Jesus? That's usually the question we're most interested in as Westerners. But there's another equally important question which we don't often ask, either of them or of ourselves. Are they orthopraxic? Are they actually obeying Jesus? Do they live and obey all that Jesus commanded us? And I would like to show you from a number of surveys that I've taken that how they are answering both these questions. So let me start with a story first. I hope you'll learn from the story as well as from the actual interviews. I call this a tale of two brothers. And if you happen to know where this story takes place, we ask that you still keep it quiet because these two brothers are still in the trenches and their lives are still uh, in jeopardy. Abdul's the older brother, and about 20-some years ago, uh, he moved from, we'll just call it a village, down into a big city where he met his first Christians. They were happened to be Frontiers missionaries, of which I'm a part. At the same time, he had a younger brother, Habibi, who stayed up in the mountains and became radicalized. He went to the local madrasa, learned the Quran and the Hadith, and how to perpetrate all of what we know as Islam. Without actually ever converting to Christendom, Abdul began to follow Jesus as best he could. And part of touching the hem of Jesus' garment and falling in love with him is that you want others to know. And so Abdul went up and asked his brother to move with him down to the big city so that he could see some of these strange people that love and follow Jesus. Habib, being young, asked his dad, was granted permission, moved down, and was horrified to learn that his older brother was hanging out with these infidels. During this initial visit, they had a near-death accident. Uh, Habib says that his brother was out on the boat, playing around, and he fell off, couldn't swim, went down from the land. It looked like he had drowned. He claims that under the water he cried out to this Almasi Aisa, Jesus the Messiah, and felt hands push him up, and there was the boat miraculously when he came up. It was also the turning point away for Habibi. He felt like his brother almost drowned because he's 
hanging out with these kafirs, these infidels. So he went home. And uh, a couple of years later, uh, Abdul returned home to his village house. But this time he brought with him a foreigner who is also a Christian. We'll just call him Carl. When they came to this village, the news quickly spread through the village that Abdul had brought this infidel with him. People were upset. There just happened to be an imam from Saudi Arabia there who had the authority to issue fatwas, religious injunctions. And his fatwa was that Habibi was to kill both his brother and Abdul uh, and, and Carl. So Habibi uh, made plans, put some friends in an ambush, borrowed his father's motorbike and took Carl for a scenic tour. And the two guys who told me this story said, we, we got off the bike. Carl had no idea what was going on. Habibi could see his friends in the bushes. He, he could see they were waiting for him to call them out, but he would look at Carl and could not. He just simply could not call for them. A force just stopped him. And at the last minute, he ordered Carl back on the bike and they fled. When they got back to the village, uh, Carl uh, found out how serious this was because Habibi went to his brother and said, you get out of here now or there will be real problems. And so they left. They didn't quit. They returned all the way back down to the big city and there began to disciple uh, Abdul. Both Carl and Al, this uh, frontiers worker, began to disciple Habibi, uh, uh, Abdul. And part of that discipleship was to teach him to pray and spend many hours in prayer. And they began to pray for Habibi. It didn't seem to work because Habibi went to another country and signed up as a freedom fighter. It was not a good time. If you've been following any of the Muslim extremist groups, you know how common this is. When they capture an enemy, they behead him. And this particular night, it was Habibi's turn. And he said, I had trained people to do this. I, this was nothing to me. I put the stocking cap over the guy's head. I lifted the sword. My friends were all shouting, Allah Akbar. And that same power just stopped me. I couldn't do it. He threw down his sword, took off the hat. Somebody else had to do the work. A couple nights later, he was on guard duty and began to cry uncontrollably. Didn't even understand why. And went AWOL, left that country, walked and took trains and buses all the way to his country, on into the big city Z, to Abdul, Carl, El, and ultimately to Jesus. And this is how it happened. Uh, when he arrived back in the big city, he was a mess. His beard was down to here. He was smelly. It was obvious to everybody that he'd been up to nothing good. But Al decided to show him grace and said, I'm not going to ask any questions. I know you probably have done things you don't want to tell me about, but you're welcome to stay with us. And this grace changed Habibi. And he began to read Al's Bible, read it Vociferously, he couldn't put it down. And then, about a year after that infamous motorbike uh, experience, he had a dream. Now, those of you who are working with Muslims, like our brother here in Tanzania, we know that this is so common. You can almost use this as a, a, a conversation opener. We often in our teams will go and just walk around asking people, have you seen a dream of any white, a man in white looks like a prophet who says something to you? And in certain places, it's so common that you expect it to happen. He had a dream. And in his dream, he saw a man in white, whom today he knows as Jesus, who came to him and said, three men are coming to you and they're going to help you. It's just God's way. He partners with us. He doesn't leave it up to us. So he set the stage. At the same time, Carl and Abdul and Al had this same Holy Spirit come to them and said, you've got to go tonight. They got into a little tiny Suzuki, uh, 600cc, if you've seen these little things. That's about a third the size of a Harley Davidson. And the four of them drove all night with the driver, all night up through the mountains, got to the door of Habibi's house and knocked on it while he was having his Jesus dream. And the next morning, 17 members of the family were baptized. It was one of those amazing things. It had been a five-year process 
There had been all these different experiences going on. And finally, the whole family got together, talked about it, came in and said, on behalf of the family, we want to all follow Jesus. That's only the beginning because God's goal is not 18 people or 17 people. His goal is that the knowledge of the glory of the Lord covers the earth like the waters cover the sea. So God started a movement on this day and he did it this way. A couple years later, the chief of this village was involved in a skirmish and was wounded. At this hospital, there was no uh, medical help at all. I believe all the doctors and nurses had either been sent away or killed. And so Abdul went up there to care for his chief. And in the process, the chief became a believer, a secret believer. On his deathbed, a couple years later, after he had really come to love and honor this Abdul, he decided that Abdul was to be the next chief. Now, this is a large tribe. Uh, National Geographic says that this people group numbers about 8 million in multiple different countries. There are 18 large tribes that make up this people group, and this chief is the president, you would call, of one of these large tribes. And he's decided he wants Abdul to be the successor. Abdul is given his own uh, mercenary guard unit. I think it was 24 armed guards with Klechnikovs. And his response was, as a Muslim, we don't need this anymore. Isa al-Masih, Jesus the Messiah, is our protector. So he turned them down. On his coronation day, the government, suspecting there was some foul play going on, sent up a helicopter to watch what was going on. And they reported in the papers, whether it's true or not, we we can only guess, but they reported that this tribe is about 400,000 strong. That The math works out. There's 18 people groups, 18 tribes in a people group of 8 million. But something like this, it's not a small tribe. And now this follower of Jesus, this Muslim follower of Jesus, is the chief. About three years ago, it's November now, yeah, well, a little less than, a little more than three years ago, we got word in our office that Abdul had been abducted. And uh, he was taken in probably by some people associated with Al-Qaeda plus some of the local government, and it became a real stink. Uh, We never thought he'd come out. Most of us, every week, the reports would come into our office and we would think he was dead. But when he was released, what we learned right away was that his accusers constantly brought this charge. Now, I want you to notice what this is. You are changing some things about Islam. Now, notice what they don't say. They did not accuse him of changing religions. Because Abdul didn't. He was still a Muslim, but a radically different kind of Muslim. During this time that he was incarcerated, his brother Habibi is now also a follower of Jesus, and he's kind of like the VP. And so the rest of his tribe came and said, we want to go to war against the section of our government that we think was a part of abducting our chief. And Habibi's response to the entire tribe was, wait a minute, we are followers of Isa al-Masih. We must follow his teachings and turn the other cheek. Can you imagine a Christian general doing that? I'm just telling you, this is how orthopraxic they have become. No, we're not going to do this because the teachings of Jesus are now our laws. At the same time, the other chiefs from this large 8 million people tribe came with their, many of them with their uh, armed vehicles, and they had a jirga. And in this jirga, they proposed all of them going to war. And Habibi got up and said into the entire tribe, no, we must follow the words of Jesus and love our enemies. And I do believe that the last three years, we would have been witnessing a a ruthless civil war in this area. You've not read anything about it because it never took place because Jesus has transformed these Muslim people. Four and a half months later, uh, he was released and we got the privilege of meeting with them. Unfortunately, 
Abdul couldn't get out of the country when we got there, only Habibi was. But we're Skyping with him, and we've changed his face for security reasons. But what struck me in Skyping with him just three or four days after his release was that he was already primarily interested in all of his people continuing to hear the good news about Jesus. This is an actual picture of of Habibi and Carl telling the infamous bike story. We've changed their faces for security reasons. But in this dialogue, the word comes out, most of our tribe now follows Jesus. Isn't that amazing? How many in the tribe? Well, that's what the government said. We don't know if it is. It could be 200, it could be five. We don't know. But it's not a small tribe. And what he's reporting is that most of our tribe now follows Jesus. We had some Southern Baptists come and join us who work with this. By the way, this is Al. He died shortly after this, and so we can show his picture. There's no security issues in heaven. But um, uh, I th- at this time, we had this Southern Baptist come who works with these two brothers, and he confirmed this from his, all of his experience. And then added, not only have they seen this radical move of God amongst all of their own tribe, but they have now reached out to 30 other Muslim people groups in eight countries and 20 languages. Is it okay in this church to say hallelujah or anything like that? I mean, this is better than winning any pendant. Or, this is what our God is doing in this day. All right, let me tell you, and these, by the way, are the 30 unreached Muslim people groups. Um, I've had to change the names, obviously. Um, Let me tell you another story. Could these be brothers and sisters in Christ? Now, this imam... The guy that's leading this, the leader, is reciting portions of the Quran. And then they're praying to Allah Akbar, God Almighty. So do you think they could be brothers and sisters in Christ? Um, Let's ask them. So we had an interview with these four leaders. And I sat there with my little... That's their self-identification. We call ourselves Muslim Defenders of Jesus. So I had my little phone and my keyboard and I was typing as fast as I could. I wished I'd had this recorded, but I did get good notes. I want you to see the questions we asked and how these Muslim brothers and sisters answered them. We asked, do you baptize your believers? And they answered, for some people, it is important. Some people in some areas understand the meaning of baptism, but other people don't understand the meaning of baptism yet. And then they gave us some examples. Moses baptized himself. Moses often meditated before he was born again. These are all the exact words that they used. It was through meditation that he discovered Jesus and baptized himself. Moses had experience when a shiny man in white robe, another vision, appeared to him. He knew it was Jesus. What is necessary for, before baptism takes place? You know, if you're a Muslim, it might be you just pray faithfully five times a day or you give more zakat, you go on the hajj. This was what these guys answered. There should be a change of heart that he personally knows. Then all the dirt is carried away by the water. After baptizing himself, Moses felt he was a changed person. Um, Ben baptized himself after watching the Jesus film. After baptism, he felt he was a changed person. These are just their answers. I didn't force anything. I just wanted to hear what they would answer. I asked, do you participate in the Lord's Supper? And their answer was they have not yet done this. So obviously there's some growth that needs to take place in this particular group. Um, do the Jamaats, that would be the, the, those who are in a community, we would call that a church. They don't use that term. Do the Jamaats or families collect money for others in need? And their answer is yes, those who are rich give money and those who are not don't. 
They give the money for the felt needs of believers and to help orphans. There are many orphans in Madura also to help mothers deliver babies to reduce infant mortality. Then I asked, well, would you use any money to spread the gospel for evangelism? And they said, yes, uh, they helped Bonar buy a motorcycle so that he can travel to do his missionary work. Uh, how do you handle sin? That's kind of interesting. For example, if somebody beats their wife or steals something, how do you, as Muslim uh, defenders of Jesus, how do you handle this? They said, we have to stay away from everything that leads us to sin. We still love him. We come to him. We don't call him a sinner. We just remind him to return back to Jesus' call. We don't reprimand him. We don't excommunicate him, but we become loving to him. We become a reminder When the follower of Jesus sins, Jesus is sympathetic to his followers. We might not totally agree. They've got some growing here to do, but that's a pretty biblical answer for the most part. You told us about honor killing because we were talking about this. These uh, particular people are a little little cut on the rough edge. Uh, If another man committed adultery with your wife, would you kill the man? Here's what they answered. Ben said he thinks honor killing must be continued because this is our orthopraxy. In our Muslim community, that's the law. If a man commits adultery, he's to be killed. And so we Muslim believers in Jesus must still be orthopraxic. But Moses disagreed. He said, as long as I see the blood come out, that's enough. He doesn't need to kill him. Now, do you think there's some room for a little bit of spiritual growth? Probably. But look what else. Is Jesus the word of God? Now, those of you who know Muslims realize this is a no-brainer. Of course he's the word of God because the Quran even says so. But what does that mean? Is Jesus eternal? Is he the eternal word of God? And these leaders all said, yes, he is eternal. Unconditional eternal. Then I asked, did Jesus have a beginning? And that's very interesting to hear their Muslim response. Moses said, the word of God is uncreated. So it has to be eternal. And then Rod explained, when a baby's born, it cries. The first thing he does is cry right away, not wait till a year later. (laughs) In the same way, the word of God has no beginning because it's the sound of God. So as long as God has existed, which is from eternity, the word has existed. The body of Jesus was created, but the word of God, I mean, it sounds pretty orthodox. They are not going to use words like Trinity because they don't know anything about our creedal statements. But they have the Bible, and from the Bible they've concluded that the body of Jesus was created later, but the word of God is eternally God. Is Jesus the Son of God? Now, for all the bad publicity that these Muslim believers have gotten about this one, Uh, Here's their answer. Yes, emphatically yes, they said. And then Rod explained, we know that son is allegorical. It doesn't mean that God had sex with Mary to produce Jesus. So I asked the question, is Isa Allah? And all three said yes, but they weren't as emphatic. And I was interested in this. And so Rod said it was only last year that he himself believed that Jesus was God. Now notice how he came to this conclusion. It wasn't from reading the works of Tertullian or finding the Apostles' Creed. or He simply experienced Jesus as God. Rod told of an Islamic teacher in Malaysia who was sick. Rod is now a well-educated Muslim. And so he came to this uh, imam or this sheikh and asked if he could pray to Allah through Isa, the mediator. And the cleric said yes, and the cleric was healed. The Islamic cleric then told Rod, the prophet Jesus healed me. And then he added, he is more than a prophet. Now, I don't know what that means, but Rod says that means he is divine. And he said this was last year. Before this, the cleric did not believe that Jesus was divine. He didn't believe in Jesus, but now, of course, he does. And so that's when Rod became convinced that Jesus really is God. And he added this interesting statement. This is not our doctrine that Jesus is God, but we experience it. We don't make a doctrine announcing to everyone that Isa is God. 
We call him our Lord. We simply let others experience Jesus. But all three of these all had come to similar conclusions from reading the scriptures and experiencing God, that, experiencing Jesus, that he cannot be anything other than eternal God. Makes you wonder if we can trust the Spirit of God and the Word of God. <laughs> they do a pretty wonderful job. What part did Jesus play in creation, I asked them. Yes, he plays a very active role in creation because he is the word of God. God said, the part of God that spoke creation existence, God said is the word of God. He plays a very active, very active role, he said. How many holy, now, this is going to trouble us. How many holy books do you have? What do you think they answered? How many? Well, a traditional Muslim will say four, and that's what they answered. Taurat, Zabur, Injil, and Quran. Now, that grieves me, because I don't believe the Quran is the word of God. But Rod explained the Quran confirms, in their mind, the Taurat, Zabur, and Injil. Quran summarizes the previous books. It means what it confirms is very important. So then I probed a little bit. I said, well, what do you do if the Quran contradicts with the former books? And it's interesting to hear a Muslim's take on this. He says they don't contradict semantically the meaning, the intended meaning, but of course they differ. So I pushed him on the one that's most problematic, the crucifixion. He said, this is Rod saying, no one and nothing I desire except our God. That was his translation of the Shahada. We always hear it's, uh, there's no God but Allah and Muhammad is his prophet. He, they don't believe in the second part of this, but even the first part of the Shahada, they translate that. Their understanding it means no one and nothing I desire except God. I listen to that and I think that sounds almost like David in the Psalms. Besides thee, I desire nothing on earth. Psalm 73. Nothing contradicts in the core of the message. Now, I don't agree with that, but the way they're reading the Quran, they say that it doesn't contradict. They are different in terms of language. So I pushed him. I said, well, what about Surah An-Nisa? Because that's one of the passages that Muslims often use, push it in our face, saying there's no way that Jesus was crucified. It was just made to look that way. And his answer was, the gospel does not contradict with An-Nisa, but only with the false interpretation of An-Nisa, which actually, if you know the Arabic, is true. An-Nisa says, they refer, they, and that they is very, very important in the Quran. It's referring not to just anybody, but specifically to the Jews who boasted, according, this is a Yusuf Ali translation, they said in boast, we Jews, we killed Jesus, the son of Mary, the apostle of God, but they killed him not, nor crucified him, but so it was made to appear to them. Can I ask some, some honest people here? Did the Jews actually kill Jesus? No. no. Who, who killed Jesus? If, it's, if we're looking at a physical explanation, it was the Romans. If it was Jews, they would have stoned him. The fact that he was hung on a cross means it had to be a Roman crucifixion. But also, Jesus said, I laid down my life. So in different ways, we could say, well, yeah, I don't know what the author of this meant, but they understand that to mean it wasn't the Jews, it was the Romans. But he was crucified as payment for our sins. How do you relate to Muhammad? Now, this is an interesting one. These are Muslims. You've got to listen to this carefully. How do you relate to Muhammad? When the sun rises on high, I think you know what to do with the man with life. What? creative answer. He's not going to come right out and say Muhammad is a false prophet. But he is going to say this is not what we're listening to anymore. The Son, Jesus, He's come. This man made light. We turn it off. And so even though they had in their heads an, a, a belief that there are four books, the Taurat, the Torah, the Zabur, the Psalms, the Injil, the Gospel, and the Quran, none of them had the Quran there or read from the Quran. So emotionally and as a guide to life, it's our Bible is their holy book. 
It's similar to evangelical Catholics who still carry around in their Bible, is it 14 extra books? And they, they don't, many of them don't even really read them, but they're in their Bible. That's kind of what these guys are. How many people did you lead to Christ? Now, I didn't tell you this part. For the, at first, when he came to Christ, I think I'll play you his testimony and we'll quit. Um, when he first came to Christ, he didn't know that what to be. And so he joined what he calls the Christian club. And so we asked him, how many people did you lead to Christ while you were a Christian? And he talked about it a lot and talked about his friends. And then he came, really just one, Kiosi, a crazy man. And then he clarified, he's not crazy anymore. He's quite a godly man now. And then we asked, since I returned to Islam in 1998, he's been a Muslim ever since then again, I have led many to Christ. The first eight years, it was very slow because the Indonesian churches called us unbelievers. That was hard for him because all the Christians says, you're not, you're Muslims. So at the time, we were rejected in the Islamic club and the Christian club. And they talked about Moses. He saw a debate. This is how he actually came into the kingdom. He saw a debate between a Christian who was a former Muslim and a Muslim who was a former Christian. And in this debate, as as Moses listened to it, he realized both of these guys have only rejected their religion. The Christians rejected Christianity. The Muslim has rejected Islam. But they both love Jesus. And God used that to bring him into the kingdom. This is the Moses who baptized himself and is now uh, wonderful. That's, that's him. From 2008, when Rod was released, he spent three years in jail for his faith. Uh, till now, what happened? He says, well, we were healed by Jesus. I was accepted in a very respected university. I always returned to Madura Island as a respected person. He can now sit in the mosque and debate the clerics from the Quran and show them what they have not seen, because he's one of them. Um, Okay, we'll quit here and then we'll have some pictures. I want you to hear his testimony, how he came into the kingdom. That's his adopted son. A miracle.
Jesus said, Good to tell you with the minutes by the top soon. And he said, Do not die. I died for you. Take the place. My name is Jesus. Then I was myself, I, I took water from the well. I took myself and put the clean uh, water from the well. And I saw the well carrying all the dirt in my mouth. All carrying. And I heard, Jesus said, Jesus said, I am the living water. I am the flowing water. Carrying the dirt, your dirt, your smell. And that's why. When I do uh, cleaning before worship, because when we do before worship, the same time, we must, uh, the water must be flowing. The water flowing, the living water. Then, Jesus, the living water must be clean my outer being, outer being. But Jesus cleans my inner being. Since after that, my profession became uh, evangelist. And then I was put in prison in 2005 in Madurai. And my pride was recorded in a, on a legal paper that as a Muslim, I glorified Jesus excessively. my You are outside fine, it's fine. But what your heart is in you. This is what the Shaykh said. That adopted son was a miracle. He was actually born in Jordan to a Muslim lady who had, I don't know if her husband had died or divorced, but on her deathbed, she asked the Jordanians to give her child in adoption to a Muslim who loves Jesus. And they had to go to Indonesia to find him. That's how he got that child. Now, I, I look at that and I say, why does Jesus do this? Why does he come and show people a piece of paper, though you are smelly and stinky, you're, you'll be as white as snow? And why does he remind Muslims of this you know, 15 years later? And why does he speak to, to Muslims and say, I am the living water? I think it's because we're not. For 1,400 years, the church has basically said Muslims can go to hell. We've only, just in the last 40 years, began to awaken to the fact that maybe God has a bride here. Okay, questions? It may just be my ignorance, but what I'm hearing is that being a Muslim doesn't necessarily mean that What's the definition of being a Muslim and Islam? Is Islam the law that Muslims follow, or what, what is that? It would be similar to us in Christianity. Okay. We almost had a Christian president who thought he was God, or becoming God. Most American Christians, most Americans are Christians. I think it's still in the 70 percentile. 
And most Americans would look at Mormons as Christians. Now, those of us in this room, I don't think we would agree with that. But the term Christian would include somebody who thinks God was once a man and he's becoming a God. It's similar in Islam. You have quite a variety of theological breadth within Islam. So Islam is like the law? Like the law that Muslims... I'm just struggling to understand. Okay, this might help you. In Christianity, well, in the West, we can separate our culture from our faith very clearly. There is overlap. But in the Islamic world, you don't. You cut my arm, I bleed the green of Islam. It causes me to dress a certain way, to greet you a certain way, to think, to marry, to do everything. It's part of my culture and my faith. And so when they change their allegiance from Muhammad to the Messiah, they don't see themselves as changing. Now, some of them are... And what we're watching is that in time, many of them do become, they go from being Muslims to being from followers of Jesus to becoming Christians in many cases. And these guys may all someday do that, but at least for decades they're not. They still see themselves culturally as that. What you didn't, yeah, his wife was in there. She just walked past. Um, the parents were so glad when they finally found another Muslim who loved Jesus because they had to marry their daughter to a Muslim. And they finally found one who loved Jesus like she did. So it's a cultural thing. You and I would say it that way. They don't speak that way. Most well, of them I mean, don't. Last side check. Love Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbors yourself. That's what Jesus said. I think it's our arrogance as American Christians that says you have to follow all this other stuff. It's not actually the Bible. Well, that's very true. Yeah, that's very true. We've added tons of stuff that's purely Western culture. Yeah. 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 Thank you. Other questions? Yes. This is a certain area of the world. Have you noticed this phenomenon in other areas? Which stories did I tell you? Uh, These were both. uh, These were both in South Asia and Asia. I have another story from Africa, which is even more spectacular. I mean, no, it's happening everywhere. What, what, what often happens is they start out as Muslims, and maybe for five years, sometimes it's 25 years, they're still Muslims. But we are beginning to see them realize, you know, they, for one thing, they identify with us. Uh, this next one that I don't have time to show you, well, before I could interview these guys, they said, please, first we need to ask you, do you accept us? Because they've been rejected by Christians. But they feel a loyalty to us. They're brothers. They know the spirit of God in us that they have in them. Follow up on that. One interesting thing that I just found, we're in the Chinese church. I'm working with Chinese. And we've just been talking and hearing of great revivals among the Chinese in Indonesia. And so we're seeing a lot of Chinese Uh in Indonesia coming to Christ. And lots of churches starting. Because there's, of course, a lot of Chinese. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I was curious to know if, if this was particularly a revival that was happening in, the, in Southeast Asia. No, or no. The, it the, I wouldn't call this revival. A revival usually means these are believers that are regenera- rejuvenated. Right, right. These are being regenerated. They're pagan Muslims and they're coming in again. Yeah, but. church has come to be more of a non-believer in sign and wonders and Islam believes it 100%. Isn't that amazing? I tell my Muslim friends all the time because I want them to ask. I say, why is it that Allah comes to you in dreams more than he comes to us Christians? Now, in my heart of hearts, I think the reason is is because there haven't been many Rons who spent 20 years in Zanzibar. This is a whole new day we're in. Yeah, what we see is we probably, in our 20 years, I could probably have 100 that haven't came out. But what happens to them, Jesus visits them in oh, their yeah. home. Yeah. Visits them. Over and, and over they again. They believe in signs and wonders, and then it's all a head full. Yeah. Okay. What about the Jews of Paul's day? 
30 years after Jesus has been crucified and raised again, what did the Jews of Paul's day believe about Jehovah? Let me clue you in. They believed he was not triune. They believed he did not have a son, Jesus. They believed that that person who came was not born of a virgin. They believed that that person who came did not do his miracles by the power of God, but did it by the power of Beelzebul. They believed that he did not rise again, but the disciples stole his body. They do not believe, did not believe that he would come again. They did not believe that Jesus was the Word of God or the Spirit of God. And yet, in Romans 10.2, Paul says, Of those Jews, I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God. Zealous theos. Not talking about another God. But not according to understanding. We're not basically... There's only one God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. There's only one all-encompassing eternal creator who's omniscient and omnipresent, and that's Allah. It's just they got so much wrong with him that they don't understand him. But I don't know of a single... And this does not only go for the Muslims. I don't know of Christians in the Muslim world who are thinking that they're two different gods. They're just saying these Muslims have got such a warped idea that similar to Paul, we would say they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Now... If you want to disagree, with that, that's fine, but you'll have to take Paul up on that one. Quick <laughs> question. You said that they, had, they considered the four holy books. Just yeah. these guys. Just the guys. next group, I tell you, they didn't. I'm pretty sure the first group I told you didn't. This, this group is fairly new. Okay. So, but would they, have they even had access to Bibles? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. They're, they're, they're actually, oh, I didn't finish this. Anyway, you'll go on. I'm leading them in a Bible study and they're reading from the Sermon on the Mount in their own translation. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I was reading a, a discussion of somewhat similar topic. One of the sticking points came between two different groups was for, for uh, followers of Jesus who stay in the Muslim community was the, uh, you know, the, there's no God but Allah and Muhammad is his prophet about whether that was Disloyal to Christianity to say the second part or not. Any thoughts that you have? Well, my experience is that most of them are not saying that second part. And if they have any loyalty to him as a prophet, it's more like Bill, like uh, Balaam. You know, he got a few things right. But uh, as I said, they they didn't bring the Quran with them. Are they still going to the mosque? As far as these guys probably are occasionally. But Muslims are like us. You know, how many Christians in America never go to church? Yeah. Yes, sir. Whenever they read the Quran, do they, do they read and understand Arabic? See, that's very good. That's right. See, that, that's the beauty of this. It's hidden to them. These guys don't understand a lick of it. They're just reciting it. Yeah. Now, they have read the Quran in Indonesian because they use the Quran to witness to their friends. That's right. That's right. Even I, I've sat in the mosque when I was regularly frequenting the mosque as my way to try and reach Muslims. I had a guy, a Pakistani, that we were trying to learn Arabic together. And this Egyptian came up to us. He thought I was a Muslim because I was sitting there. He didn't know I was talking to this guy about Jesus. But he, 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 he started talking to us and we said, yeah, this is so hard for us non-Arab speakers to learn Arabic. It's such a difficult language. This is what the Egyptian said. He said, even for us Arabs, if I don't understand, I have to go read the English translations because the Arab of the Quran is so difficult. <laughs> I, I know enough words to be dangerous. That's all. It's difficult to understand it whether you read it in English or Arabic. It's a book. It's not the Word of God. It's just a book. It's dead. I, I shouldn't record that. I'm sorry, but anyway. Can you tell us a little bit more about yourself that you're able to say and what you do? Um, I teach, uh, I run an internship called TOAG where we train people for a year-long internship to go and launch movements like you saw in that first video, first story, where they will not plant a church or two but start movements that lead to dozens and then hundreds and even thousands of churches. 
Miraculous movements, if you've heard anything about it, that's happening in the world. But it doesn't happen when we do things the traditional way. We have to go back to the book of Acts and do it like Acts, which involves a lot of signs and wonders too. So that's what I do. But my code name is Jadim for a reason because there are places I go that I don't want them to snoop on the internet. They can find Jadim, I don't care, but <laughs> they can't find my real name. Ah. Well, okay, we're not going in, we're not insiders, we're Christians. I go to the mosque, I tell them, I'm a follower of Jesus, my dad is a Christian, I'm not going to change religions, I don't want to change religions, just stop trying to convert me. But, now where was I going with this? Okay, how do I identify myself with them? But I want to go to those Christians. They're, the reason that there's is exciting Indonesia is because you've got all these Chinese that have come into the kingdom recently. And I want to pour my life into catalyzing them. That's one of the main things we learn in Torah. You've got to do it yourself. You can't catalyze somebody else to do something you're not doing yourself. But the real the growth comes when you catalyze that church that's there. And there's a church in most places of the world. It's very, very weak. But that's another big change that's happened in the last decade. Uh, it used to be that the church wanted nothing to do with reaching its Muslim neighbors. But the Holy Spirit that started to awaken in us has been doing the same thing in his bride all throughout the Muslim world. And now finally there are all kinds of Christians who've been there for years and they wake up and think, wow, maybe I should start sharing with my Muslim friends in the language that I know. <laughs> So, yeah, in the back. Oh, I would never try and tell them to in- integrate Islam with Christianity. Um, I w- we call it living out loud. I know this is different. Always be thinking and enjoying Jesus. And then talk about what you know. It's not... It's not something we put on. Our problem in America is we have separated our life from our spiritual life so much that we're not used to this. One of the main things we teach in Toeg is get over this and start living out loud everywhere you go. You're always a child of the King. And if you really love Jesus, you're going to be having fresh encounters with Him all the time that you just talk about like you would with anybody else. So... We say, if you're reading from, I I was reading from Hebrews chapter 2 today. So, I didn't have a Muslim sitting next to me on the plane. I wish I would have, but I probably would have said to him, this is incredible what I'm reading in this book, and I would have told him about it. Instead, I had a guy that I thought was this man right here, and I showed him a book that I was reading to see if I could find any interest, spiritual interest in him. It's the same with Muslims. Get them talking about what you're excited about, whatever you love about Jesus, you talk about Yes, I think that's true. Well, here's the problem. I grew up in South Africa. You want to see syncretism, go and see the C3 works in Africa. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, C3 would be more traditional churches that we start in Africa. Syncretism is rife throughout the African church. The fact is, the only thing that's keeping these people from being syncretistic is that they don't just read the scriptures, they always obey it. I wish I had time to show you this next interview. These guys always go to the scriptures with this. The, one of the, two, the two major questions they must grapple with is how do we obey this and who will we tell? Now, if you introduce that into what we call the ecclesia, you're going to have something alive and it will take care of Syncretism. The reason we have such syncretism is because we have exported the American Christianity, which is no, 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 and do very little. I I ask you, how many of you this week are working to obey something that you were challenged to do from the pulpit last Sunday? Let me see your hands. One, two, uh, there's a handful. This is pretty surprising. Okay, 
Next question. How many of you who raised your hands next Sunday when you go to church will be checked? Somebody who loves you will ask you how you did obeying what you decided to do this week. This is amazing. This is a new thing. This is very different. Okay, okay. I've asked this question for about 15 years and I used to get no hands. Now we're starting to hear this because I think this concept is coming back to to the West. We're realizing this is so stupid that we keep reading the scriptures and we don't try to live the ways of Jesus. He's the smartest person that ever existed. He's so smart, you might just think he was God. I meant that facetiously. I hope you know. I mean, why aren't we trying to become like him? But in these movements, they've never thought of anything else. They always look at the word, how do I obey this? After we've talked about what does it teach us about God and our responsibility, how do I obey this and who am I going to tell? Uh, you know, I don't know what he called himself, but he went to a church for the first year. What's the significance of what they call themselves as a Muslim versus Christian? What does that mean? Well, in many places, it means that we identify with American culture or Western culture. So it means that I'm going to start drinking, I'm going to start eating pork, I'm going to start being loose with women. I'm going to be like Bill Clinton who goes to church on Easter with his Bible and comes home and has sex with Monica Kalinske. I mean, that's what we think of as Christianity in much of the world. So for them, it's embracing everything that's Western. Now, as these Muslims get to know other true Christians, born-again believers, they love us. They're, they're our brothers. They totally identify with us. I've never had any of them say, you're Christians, we're Muslims, we're different. No, we're brothers. Yeah. That to when they become a Christian, to jettison that is kind of like disowning everything you ever knew and your family, even the good parts. Yeah. Uh, when I listen to it, I think it, it's much more like a messianic yeah. Jew. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They, they don't quit being Jewish. Right. But they accept the Messiah. Right. That's right. The, the, the difference is that most Messianic Jews, like we have a lot of Messianic Jews in our church, but they're really just Christians. They don't call themselves Messianic Jews. But you do have Messianic Jews that are still going to the temple on Saturdays and, and are much more, they much more think of themselves as Jewish. But yes, I think true Messianic Jews and true Islam, there is a lot of similarities. I think, I think it's a good analogy. I, not everybody likes that, but... couple more questions and we got to quit. Yes. Do you believe that the God of the Quran and the God of the Bible are same? Because I know in everywhere we are identified as the Abrahamic religions. Mm-hmm. But do you believe that we have the same origin? It doesn't really matter what I believe. I don't, I don't even want to answer that. These guys definitely think they are and the Christians around them do too. They see themselves as having come from the God who created Adam and Eve, who then created Noah and had the flood. All these stories are in the Quran. They see this as a continuation, this eternal, all-encompassing being who had a prophet, Jesus, who was was very powerful, made things out of clay that became life, born of a virgin. He is the... Wajihan, which means he's an advocate. I mean, they believe so much about Jesus, but they're, they stop short, do not believe he's the Son of God. The Muslim does not believe he's, of course, God, doesn't believe he's a crucified Savior. He's not an atonement for our sin. He doesn't propitiate God's wrath. So there are significant differences. But they don't see themselves as, as worshiping different gods. Go to Egypt. You've got... 15% of the country are, are Coptic Christians. They don't see themselves as worshiping a different God. And maybe there are some, but most of them don't. But we all know that their understanding of, the, of God is really warped. And that's what Paul says of the Jews of his day. They have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. It's a, a warped view of God. Now, it, you, it doesn't matter really what we believe. 
But if you start with Muslims by saying, you have the wrong God, you've shut the door. I mean, eventually they come to the conclusion, our view of God was so wonkers, that he does have a son, and his son became Christ. And he's our everything. That, you can see this. It's a, it's a uh, progression. I think I have to quit, don't I? One more question, and then we'll quit. Yes. You're, you, let, let me just correct that. That is not true. I, and let, if you're talking what I think you are talking about, the opposition, that is just not true. Those publishing companies are taking out words that mean procreation. They're trying to explain he really is the Son of God. Now, do, have they done a good job of it? Probably not, and they need to correct it. But those, publish, those publishers that are getting all the bad press, I don't know them personally, but I know some of, about them, they are trying desperately to get the Muslim to realize he is the son of God, but not as you think. It wasn't that God had sex with Mary to produce Jesus. Secondly, the Quran doesn't say that the Bible has been corrupted. The Quran speaks... Yeah, they think a lot of things, and that's part of why we use the Quran is to help them realize your Quran actually speaks extremely positively, as did your oldest scholars. Al-Tubari, Al-Kabari, all the guys that they respect say these Old Testament, these scriptures are not corrupted. Even Ghazali in the 11th century, he was still saying that. It's a modern idea. Thank you. Uh, we can stay and talk later, um, but I've got to let you go.